Um, so, uh, I had, I guess we'd watched the film last, sometime in the last year, but we watched it again last night and it's just, and I saw um, Lost Highway, there's that new remastered version that's, that's going around theaters. So we saw Lost oh, Highway. I had no idea. Yeah, saw Lost Highway in the theater, um, I don't know, a couple weeks ago. And um, Lynch and Electricity, man, he's like super into it. I'm not there, sure there's there's uh, some Lost, um, not Lost, but um, there's a script he wrote, I forget what it was called, that was like a sci-fi movie uh, that was all about about all about that it had that same focus on he's he electricity freaks him out or something yeah. it's like he finds it very uh he's disturbed by it i think yeah yeah, yeah yeah in a really deep way i think uh, uh it makes sense for someone who seems as uh interested or invested in um spirit that um makes sense to me that that he would be a little freaked out by electricity. When you think about how, uh, I don't know why, I don't know why actually, but I, I certainly associate like the more legit hauntings that I hear about. Um, or the, like when I think about legitimate uh, ghost experiences, it seems to be electronics going haywire or lights flashing on and off. There's like, there's something that connects the idea of spirit uh, or un, un, uh, unrestful spirit and uh, electricity as a medium for them to uh, to manifest or to, to con make contact. Yeah, yeah, because he's, um... Well, I mean, all of the, almost all the like ghost hunting materials are basic or based on that more or less, right? They're, they yeah, do yeah. Uh, all the audio pickups and um, even um, what's that really crazy one where they, they have like the, the radio dial skipper and they, it's just. Oh, oh yeah. I can't remember what yeah. that's called. That's, um, um, uh, it has a something method. I forget what the hell it's called, uh, which is. SD's Estes, yeah, which is the yeah. freakiest fucking thing. That, that I don't know how anyone actually looks at that and is like, yeah, this, this is all bullshit. Like, cause it, cause when it works, it's insane. <laughs> yeah. yeah, but but that is it, and it kind of it sort of interweaves with uh, with firework with me because there's always this, this return to static. Like that's the thing that keeps it's this background thing that pops up like when things are going bad. Yeah, yeah. Uh, like returns. Um, First yeah, go ahead. I was just no, gonna say go the first the first note I took last night was static. Um and what what is that about? It's it's always there for mm -hmm. him. And mm -hmm. I mean in the films across the board, but especially in the uh Firewalk with me and in the uh Twin Peaks universe. Yeah. And I, yeah. Go ahead. And I wonder if that is uh you know, we talk about I shouldn't say we. Um, I I am of the the um, I'm team. The brain is a receiver, and consciousness exists outside of it. Um, mm. And our more materialist-minded friends will talk about the brain as a uh, or consciousness as electrical impulses. Right? You mm -hmm. look at how the, ner the nervous system works; it is electrical impulses. 
So I think that there probably is something caught up in in spirit or consciousness that has to do with electricity or um, or at least electricity as a material uh, means for its expression or uh, or um, yeah, expression. That's that I'm fine with that. Well, like if you think about like what even is electricity, it's essentially like stolen or trapped energy. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> it's like energy is supposed to always be flowing and moving from one thing to the next for the most part, unless it's something like a rock where it's just stored there. But like like the way we do it is is boil it down and condense it all into a, one place and contain it and then release it like a little bit at a time for our own machinations. And it's something about that in and of itself seems anti-animist or like if it if you look at it in an animist context it seems like mad scientist like you're taking if everything is some kind of being then you're basically like harvesting souls like if you, if you think of it kind That's of yeah um well yeah and then that it makes sense that um david lynch would be deeply freaked out by that you know or it says someone <laughs> who seems to be uh tuned best. in yeah tuned yeah. in exactly he, he would be like there's something sinister about that about all I, this there's wonder... a <laughs> oh, go on good oh no it was well, also it's also funny because like th... i don't remember if that same sort of like static thing happens in the show like in the first two seasons it definitely happens in the third one like yeah. in fact there's this it's sort of um there's a quality of, of it about in that in the world of twin peaks like when that's happening it's like breaking out of its reality into another place right yeah, and, yeah like that's uh that's where the spirit realm kind of like what it what's also it's like two things it's like since it was a TV show, that's the that's the breaking down of the narrative world itself. Like it's that's the static is like that's that's it. And then funny enough, this whole thing is kicked off with Leland breaking a TV. Yeah, right. Like that's that's the all the way back as as for what we've seen of the Twin Peaks world, the narrative. That's the first the really first murder happens with that, with him destroying this television, which is, which I think starts with static and then it, it's, yeah. he smashes it. Yeah. Um, which is, and then there's, it makes me think of that at the beginning of the return with the box and then them, which I think doesn't, it doesn't, doesn't it fill with like blackness and static too, or something like there's some relation between Judy and, 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 yeah. uh, and static. Well, I wonder what, I don't know the answer to this, but it, it makes me wonder what static actually is. Like, I don't have enough of a, a background to, to be like, when your TV screen is showing static, that is, what is it? Uh, well, is the it, oh, materialist, it's, yeah, there's the materialist explanation um, <clears throat> that it's, it's like background gamma radiation left over from the Big Bang. Yeah, oh, that, wow. it's, that, that is like the fundamental just field. And like, it has, so is, it's, it's like undifferentiated uh energy or, or signal i just yeah. wondered i i mean it's 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 clear in fire walk with me but it's also I, I think clear in a lot of his work lynch's work 
that he's he's interested or invested in the overlap of dimensions, right? You can mm -hmm. be in one geographical space that is multiple spiritual spaces. And I wonder if, if that static image is about um, like too much overlap, right? Everything mixed together into one thing. And so, and it's sort of like a chaos, right? There's nothing, um, it's undifferentiated. It's not, um, and so nothing can, nothing has emerged yet. And I wonder what, what that means for a um, like a metaphysics of Lynch, like especially if he's having, you know, because so that you're right. Firewalk with me starts with that static on the TV, and then Leland destroys the TV. And I'm tempted to think, you know, at first I'm like, well, this is after Lynch's experience making network television. Like, is, it, <laughs> is Leland yeah. just smashing the TV to be like, is it a warning right off the bat? This is not the TV show. The show, right? yeah. Um, and also fuck TV, they fucked me over. Um, mm. But it's interesting that he would have Leland, who is a complicated character to say the least, uh, <laughs> you know, as, as, as his stand-in. It's, it's so interesting, like he, I mean, it's almost like with Fire Walk With Me, he's doing the same thing that he does with uh, season three, their turn where, mm. I, I guess it's a Twin Peaks story. Like it's about those characters, but they're huge departures, right? Like, mm -hmm. and I'm just thinking about this for Fire Walk With Me for the first time, but a thing that stuck with me about the return was that it was like he took characters from Twin Peaks and used them to make a new, a new thing or to really focus on uh, on elements that maybe were in the original TV show, but he didn't get to like fully embrace. Yeah. It kind of felt like he, everything had gone through several stages of alchemizing, but then stopped before it was done, but at various stages, like he felt like he yeah. like al alchemized all the characters and then just randomly hit pause and was like, this is who you are now. Yeah. Mm. But yeah, I, I, see like, what, I see what you mean with them. Um, sorry, Kurt. Go ahead. No, no, go ahead. I, I just, I think it's uh, really cool. I didn't, okay, so I, I watched Twin Peaks for the very first time, like two years ago. Like I knew you guys and I was talking about it to you guys when I did. And uh, and so I, I watched Firewalk with me directly after the second season. I was just doing chronological. <clears throat> and um, and it definitely hit different this time because it's been long enough that I don't have a fresh memory of the series of the first two seasons or or the return, but a little bit better of the return. But so this hit as a standalone this time and it hit mm -hmm. like really solidly, you know, and and I think that's that's the idea is that it's um, like you were saying, it's like these there's this. It's a different take. It's the same world but it's almost like if you had given that whole story to a different director and made it a film instead um like it kind of felt like that like if you had someone else do yeah. their own take on it like an adaptation on the series um well, but it, it also it, it also played into Lynch's whole like get you excited about learning mo more or what happened and then not give you that like <laughs> which he does in the return really hard, you know, like, yeah. like trolled everyone really hard. And, and, and I don't know if that was, I mean, I, I know some of that was intentional, but it definitely wasn't like his whole reason for doing it. <clears throat> but I like yeah. that. It's like a, well, if I'm going to disappoint people, I'm going to play it up and be like a little bit of a shit about it. 
Um, but, but he did that too. Like I felt that too. Cause I, I, the first time I watched Firewalk with me, it was like, I wanted to know more of the story that I didn't know already. And instead I got filled in on all this back stuff that I already knew. And, yeah. and at the time I had just finished season two and I was like hungry for more story. And so it, it did hit me probably the same way it would have hit anyone else uh, at the time and like annoyed them a little bit. Yeah. Um, but I, st- I didn't what? like it. Any- I didn't like it any less because of that. Like, I, if anything, it was just like, oh, you fucker. <laughs> well, I, I, the, the other difference, the other difference is, is it. Um, so the firewalk with me doesn't have as much uh, interaction with Mark Frost. Yeah. And I think I think Mark Frost like tempers Lynch a bit. And, and and Firewalk with Me is like, here's the shit that the show was kind of turning away from, like the mm-hmm. actual darkness. Like yeah. we're kind of skirt around it in the show, but we're gonna confront it directly in this movie. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's it's really funny. This is only the second time I've ever seen this movie, and the first time I saw it was the first time I saw anything Twin Peaks. Mm-hmm. Oh wow! So like, um. I and and this was like when it first came to cable, like after it got released, and it was very controversial. And I kind of, I Twin Peaks was like this background noise. It, it was one of those things that made enough of like I remember they released Laura Palmer's Diary. That was a huge thing, like yeah. that that they saw. And I remember people being very angry about this movie. And um, and I when I watched it, it uh. It was so deeply uncomfortable. This movie is fucking dark, like yeah. really dark, like not um, a lot of things pretend that we're like edgelord spooky, but not the way this like Lynch has this capacity where um, he really confronts evil. Yeah. Yeah. And like and fucking and the other thing about it is uh, I don't know how Cheryl Lee that's that's uh that's who plays laura palmer and um uh what's his name wise what's his name uh the guy that plays yeah ray wise how are they not piled and drowning in oscars because the 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 performances in this fucking movie are insane like the places they go and the intensity cheryl lee is amazing in this and like the constant sense like she is on the edge all the time of going completely insane and you just see it in her wild eyes when you i feel like you know you feel for an actor like that who i mean i'm sure she she did some other work but like really the twin peaks work is is has been her career but it makes sense like you do that kind of a performance and then you kind of have to just be like, okay, I did it. I, I, did, I did the thing I came here to do, and now I need to stop. I, I, I did um, act. I acted. That was yeah. it. It's like the person that writes one novel, and it's like, oh yeah, I did it. I, I guess I could write more, but what's the point? I've accomplished what uh, an actor is intended to. The um, there's a couple of things there. I, again, like I think uh, you're absolutely right that like Lynch goes to darkness in a way that very few others do and it's so it it it, he focuses so hard in the film on evil emerging from the family home and i mean that's across his films right that that there's the american dream has rot at the center of it and evil is emerging out of it Um, but it's so intense 
in Fire Walk with me, and it's so centered around the uh, like the perfect American nuclear family and the abuse, like that. I, I remember. I mean, the the sex stuff is hard enough to deal with, but even just the the dinner scene where yeah. Leland, like your hands aren't clean, oh. it's so fucking hard. Um, it's yeah. oppressive and like a yeah, it's like ugh. It's the the way that the the congruency of the emotional reactions, how that they're all agreeing that what he's doing is this just just horrible, horrifying and terrible thing. Like it's just disgusting, and yeah. and everyone knows something that you don't. It's, yeah. Um. It yeah. It's so dis- that to me is actually more disturbing because it's so suggestive. Um, yeah. And it yeah. and it and it feels uh very dreamlike like. Uh, I, like no. you were saying earlier, how the the different the the crossing of the worlds, um, like bleeding of the worlds, like perhaps those borders are what causes and that static and everything. Um, but In I almost, all, I almost, sorry, sorry, go ahead. I was just gonna say. Uh, and they're all complicit in it. In that scene, everyone knows it's it's wrong. Everyone knows that, and even. Leland is sitting there. You see him sitting there in the knowledge that he's being absolutely evil. They're they're drenched in this evil, and they know it, and they're all complicit in it. They're all participating. Oh, it's bad. <laughs> it's bad, bad, bad. <laughs> well, and then and then it it's even more horrible where there's, um, which I think is like part of Bob's feeding, where he lets mm. he'll let Leland go. Yeah. and let Leland become aware of what the fuck he's been doing and you just see the horror take him over and then he has to go he has to go to Laura and and say I like that that's genuine I think I don't it's oh, yeah. not I love you, know, you. Like, um, yeah like I like uh, and it's it's just it's terrible <laughs> it's yeah. so terrible yeah and him um, being forced to like see himself self, in that yeah. transformation the 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 anguish of that is also food yeah, yeah. Right? oh <laughs> that reminds me later in the film i can't remember the exact moment but it, it might be during the murder um leland slash bob but i think it's leland it's a moment where it, it feels like it's leland and he says i something like i thought i always i thought you knew it was me mm. uh, i always thought you knew it was me and that's fucked up right that's like he's like mm. he seems like he's hurt that um, he thought he had permission somehow some yeah, fucked yeah. up way yeah oh god uh, yeah but then it also turns back into bob's face and he says i thought you knew it was me so yeah. it's like they're they both want the attention even though there's fused they're still like uh singular and and gross yeah i see that i think that's a really interesting thing about um again lynch's work in general but this film in specific like uh i always tell people like i think if you want to if you, that lynch is our greatest um demonologist that like mm-hmm. he uh, is singularly invested and interested in uh the existence and agency and action of angels and demons and, and mm-hmm. like he's a popular American filmmaker. I mean, I know he's a weirdo, but like at this point, he's a uh, like mainstream adjacent American filmmaker who takes the reality of demons, angels, and other uh, dimensions. Like he takes it quite seriously and is engaging with it seriously. Mm-hmm. Um, and so much of this film is about possession and a really interesting um, 
and like adult way in, in, in an artistically sophisticated way that takes it seriously and says, well, what would it be like? What are the consequences of some other force taking you over? Um, and I, I think we don't get much of that. You know, usually if that if possession is coming up um, in films, it's sort of a like cheap horror gag. When we were, my wife yeah. and I were watching the movie last night, I was like, is this a horror movie? Um, I think so. I think so 100%, I think so. And is he making horror films? I mean, I, I guess, I'm sorry, I, I'm trying to keep it focused on Firewalk with me, but I think- It's impossible. It's it's gonna bleed I think out. It's, I think it's actually closer to something like a Bible. Like- Oh yeah? Oh like, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's got parables in it to show you like how this stuff actually works, how possession really works mm -hmm. and how um, suffering and pain can be food for nefarious spirits like that. And- the and the total capture and and how it's like a gradual sliding slope like there's it's more like a but not the bible but it's like a bible it's like a religious text that is aimed at um granting you perspective to avoid such pitfalls yeah. if you take it that way he's so interesting man because i i think of uh like his public persona is i mean apart from the tm stuff the meditation stuff like I don't think of him as being a publicly political artist mm -hmm. or like a traditionally religious artist, but his work uh, has such, um, I mean, it's clearly spiritual. Like, I mean, yeah. maybe a, that's more of a stretch to say he's not a, a, a publicly religious artist, but the, the work has like political uh, implications, but there's no easy answers. And it's not like he's, it's not, it's not partisan, right? He's just, he's presenting this vision of Americana that is profoundly um, haunted or possessed by something that is uh, really sinister. It's like, as you're saying all of that, all I can think is uh, Bob Dylan. <laughs> yeah. yeah, okay, yeah. Dylan uh, is the Lynch of music and Lynch is the Dylan of film. <laughs> I, I kind of feel like that makes sense. Um, yeah. When you look at the, the willingness to explore and to be, uh, abstract and then end up finding your way and uh and not really be overtly political but still be digging into the dark heart of america um yeah yeah well it, it's also um it should be said that he he's also probably one of the few people that deals with good genuinely like when people are good in lynch's universe they they like they're like true shining white knights like it's like yeah. There's like a, there's like a period. And I think, I think you can only do that because he's aware of how dark things are. Yeah. And like, I, <clears throat> that tends to balance it out. And that's, you know, that's the whole thing with like agent Cooper is he, he, he doesn't feel fake in this world, even though he's like, even though he's like such a, a bastion of like good. Right. Yeah. But usually that people do that and it's, preposterous and it's it feels like cardboard but not him he 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 feels genuine like he's there's some uh bright thing that he's connecting to yeah and, and a, what's yeah go ahead i was just gonna say he's an he's an agent of good good yeah and, and there's a uh interesting thing about i think it, it shows up in all the films uh the tv work too where the performances in lynch films 
tend to be these uh, really extreme, almost soap opera. They're either absurdist, right? And yeah. yet they always feel, uh, they don't feel fake. It doesn't feel disingenuous. And that's, I mean, that I always think of Lynch as a, a brilliant director in terms of, you know, like uh, composition, sound design, storytelling, all of that. And, and we don't ever really talk about, also he's getting, there's a consistent performance style across the films that is insane. That is not a, like a it's not American naturalism. It's not method mm -hmm. acting. It's, it's like um, overwhelmingly, yeah. It's yeah. like uh, this like soap opera acting that feels so connected emotionally and it feels real. Yeah. It's, huh. it's more like, I think what stage acting used to be, right. Where it's this real, yeah. like you, you, you express and you express large. Um, and, and it's funny you bring that up because, because there's two specific moments in fire walk with me where it's like, how does this work? One is like her, her response of going gobble, gobble, gobble. Which <laughs> like, <laughs> is like this, this is so stupid. It shouldn't have any emotional impact, but it does. Like what? There's that. And then at the end with her, her, her connecting, her finally being like connecting with some bright goodness out of all of this darkness, mm. it comes back and it is the most high school bullshit production <laughs> of an angel that anyone can ever do. And for some reason you're like, yeah, okay, so I get amazing. it. Yeah. <laughs> well, I think what that, what that is for me, and I've thought about, I thought about this through the whole thing, just like, and I actually, I've been thinking about it a lot lately because we've watched quite a, like a few B movies uh, doing this podcast. And like, there's something about <clears throat> the total earnestness and sincerity that happens when someone's creating something that's, it's not landing with realism at all. And yeah. I think that <clears throat> something happened in the 2000s. Everything is fucking saturated with total realism. Yeah. Everything. Like there's no, um, anything that's not realism is, is happening outside of dialogue. Yeah. And you would think that people uh, like, filmmakers would would learn because I would say the the filmmakers who get the most sort of props who like who have been um lauded the most in the last 30 years are, are ones who have stepped away from the kind of method acting realism stuff so I'm thinking about David Lynch I'm thinking about the Coen brothers who work mm -hmm. in a, a heightened absurdist sort of um performance style um yeah, it's weird. And it, it's got such a, it's weird with Lynch that there's a real sophistication in terms of, you know, he's a, he's coming from a visual art background. And so there's a, a sort of really intense conceptual sophistication. Um, it's a, it's a complete package, right? I, I mentioned sound design earlier, sound design, composition is, and his metaphysics, I would say are really sophisticated, but there's also like a naive, a naive quality to how the the scenes are acted or staged sometimes like mm. it feels like you're watching a soap opera or you're watching like a public access like uh show mm. but i think you're you're, you're on to something rev when you were kind of saying that that kind of i think what you were saying what i was hearing was that that kind of um naivete or like amateurness or clumsiness uh actually like open space for 
a sincerity, yeah. you know? Sometimes well, I, when things are too glossy, it, it feels like you're trying to pull something over on me. Yeah. 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 I think our, our own, I mean, our own conversations and our own like everyday life is what people try to mimic because it, it seems like that, that must be just like what sells on mass. Yeah. But, um, but you're literally limiting all of the possible little nuanced worlds where there's a different lens on things down to just the one or just like a few um kind of standardized cookie cutter uh vibes and the release really, i don't think there's a better word for it than vibe to be honest i think well that's yeah that's like last night when i was watching the movie i was like no thoughts just vibes um yeah. <laughs> Something about like I I do think David Lynch is thinking about the work he makes, but I also get a strong sense that he's just like, you know, I don't know. I just feel like uh, <laughs> I wish I could do a good impression of his voice, but I can't. Um, Can you believe it? <laughs> I think too because um, because film, I mean, literally is photography. Um, people get trapped in. Um, feeling like it needs to be real like because it it can be really jarring right like if you're taking a photograph or, or, or recording video or film of something that is not um super hyper realistic uh it can be really jarring and so i think the medium can be kind of a trap for people that they're like okay it's got to be um we have to do as little as possible in terms of style and it's got to be really natural um which is which is actually actually funny and as someone who studied painting for a very long time and um you know the, the uh photography has hijacked us into saying into thinking like that's real yeah photography is much a fraud as uh-huh. any sort of illustrative th- it's all it's it's fakery too there it's yeah, yeah. for one it's collapsing your binocular vision into one that's the that's one of the first things it does uh but but it's also uh <coughs> And there, there's an interesting thing that happened with how we um, we actually deal with uh, framing things that changed once photography became more common. Uh, because if you look at like Renaissance paintings, they tended to do, they didn't chop up the body as much. There was like specific, they would tend to stage things larger, like you would see whole bodies. And yeah, then yeah. when photography came in, it, it was like, oh, I'll crop it to like all the way over here or like, I'll, I'll like that changed everything. So um, it's still not reality, even though we think it's reality. It's there's choices happening with it, and uh, there's a lot of like you're, you're bringing up his like visual sense. Like he, there's this thing where he he puts this like tinge of pink and stuff that's yeah, really yeah. weird, and it makes it much more uncomfortable. Which I think is the like when the when the scenes get really red, mm-hmm. like it's like th- it's that like just sneaking in to these like domestic scenes and it makes everything feel like ickier it's really weird (laughs) so something we talked about last episode was uh or i talked about how when i was playing in bands a lot and i i ended up kind of becoming a self-promotion machine and how propaganda like self-propagandizing becomes kind of like a a servitor or a um an egregore that um it's it's like your success algo and um and at some point it becomes bigger and greater than you if you if you let it uh and then you like lose the thread on the thing you were promoting in the first place and you're making trash at that point now i wonder if it's just that 
in such an ultra monetized industry, as time has gone on and they've actually used algos and first it was test audiences, but now it's algos to decide like how to write film, how to, how to create art with something that should be art and art medium. Um, if it's just that like no one survives the process of the industry, like you get the voice in your head that says, no, don't do that. Uh, the execs will shoot it down. Like, oh, no, do that. So-and-so is paying for it. And, and psychologically, by the time you get to the point to making like blockbuster films or even like theater version, theater worthy films, like how many times have you had to shoot down your own ideas in order to get the other ones made so that you could get the one you really wanted to make? But then by then, are you even still in touch with all those ideas or have you shut up those voices altogether? Um, yeah, I wonder about that. I think that that's, uh, I think that's entirely uh, accurate. I think it's funny, I was, just before we got on the call, I was on Twitter and I saw a video of um, David Lynch talking about um, George Lucas wanted him to direct Return of the Jedi. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> he's talking about going to meet George Lucas to like, this is the whole thing. But at the beginning of the story, he's like, uh, you know, I, I have had zero interest in doing this, but George, um, he does what he loves and I do what I love and that's a connection between us, but the things that he loves makes hundreds of billions of dollars. So I figured I should at least go meet with this guy. Um, <laughs> and I do think that there's, uh, I mean, David Lynch has certainly been very successful, but like, I don't think it's, um, I don't think it's an accident that he made the return for a subscription uh, television service. I, I don't think he's, I don't know if he'll ever, ever get to make another movie. Um, just because he doesn't seem particularly interested in that, that issue that you, you're talking about, Rev, of like, the of industry winnowing down or, yeah. or, or shaping his work to fit the algorithm. Um, because I think that if you want to make successful, uh, commercially successful films in the studio system at this point, Someone's got to be wearing a metal suit and uh, shooting laser beams out of their hands. Out of their tits. Out of their titties. Oh, um, if only they would do that thing. If only. That would be interesting, man. <laughs> uh, no, I, I though I'm starting to think that that's, that's starting to fail. Um, yeah. Yeah, I'm, sorry. I'm thinking that's starting to collapse. And I think the film industry goes through these phases. Like, I think the um, apparently at the very beginning, like in its, what was it, in the, made in the like 30s or something? The 30s were, were filled with these like really bombastic, extreme productions that were very elaborate. And that collapsed at some point. And then the tone changed. And um, uh, I think it, get, it goes through the cycles. Like, the 70s was a reaction to, was a similar thing where it became really gritty and realistic. And that was again, Hollywood collapsing under its own weight. So we're probably due for that to happen again. Um, I don't know if it's, I don't know if it'll be led by Hollywood, but um, it'll probably bubble up from the edges. It's yeah. TikTok. Subsume it. Yeah. What? It's, literally, TikTok. It's, it's TikTok. Oh no, no, I don't think it's TikTok. God, <laughs> please let it not be TikTok. <laughs> I don't even know. I mean, I've never even, I've never been on TikTok. I, my experience of TikTok is that as an old person, I go on Instagram and 
people have posted TikToks there and I go, okay, that's a <laughs> That's what that is. It, okay. it, I, I can I can explain TikTok to an older person really easy. It is um, remember that time when you're flipping through channels looking for something to watch? It is just that yeah. forever. Wow. That sounds like hell. It's yeah, like it's give yeah, it three it, seconds and like meh, all right. Yeah. It's basically if, if you if you are so tired of your life that you wish you were in a retirement home right now. <laughs> <laughs> pre-retired. You're pre-retired. <laughs> okay, good. Good to know that TikTok is not for me. Yeah. <laughs> there are still some things, there are interesting things that happen on it. There's interesting things that happen on everything, but it's... Yeah, exactly. There's always uh, something good somewhere. Yeah. It, it takes a while to sift through the bullshit, though. Actually, so this... you know, it's... Oh, go ahead. I was just going to say, this is maybe a stretch, but it's, it's, this is bringing me back to something I wanted to talk about with the film. Um, he, uh, and this is specific to the Twin Peaks universe. Uh, Lynch seems so interested in places where people meet. Um, and this was the first time it had occurred to me that in, um, in Fire Walk With Me, we get the Black Lodge and we get those scenes where like all the demons are just kind of hanging out there. Uh, eating the creamed corn uh, but there's this mirror version of that in the roadhouse or in the at the bang bang bar or the brothels like there is um he seems to really um he seems to really revel in like a large format canvas or the large format canvas that at like a crowded bar or a, mm -hmm. a location like a liminal sort of like a bus station of the souls gives you where he can he can pick out a one grotesque who's sort of moving through that space um that just really jumped out to me and it's something i really enjoyed about the the return too is that we got more uh more versions of those sort of like interdimensional um waiting rooms you know mm. in the, the first two seasons of the show you get basically the red room um and then in fire walk with me you get the red room but you also get sort of that weird there's like a weird sitting room where all the the folks are and then in the return there's tons of them you get the red room you get that space you get the gas station you get like these places in outer space at the um, end of every yeah. episode at the bar yeah 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 really leaning into it uh with those those performances in the bar like um and it made this is such a stretch but like uh when you when we talk about tiktok or when we talk about digital spaces where anyone and everyone can throw the their sort of their self into the mix um a lot of that is just going to be noise right a lot of that's just going to be static but in the middle of that static there may be you know, the arm might be moving through or, um, or Laura's in the corner doing something interesting. And I think maybe that's connected to this preoccupation. I don't know if it's a preoccupation. There's a theme that Lynch is working with of static, the undifferentiated mass of chaos and what emerges as form or what is moving through that um, in between dimensions or into manifestation. Yeah, and it 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 really culminates in like episode eight of the return with 
him driving into the atomic bomb and it's nothing but chaos and out of the chaos emerges well judy the worst fucking thing possible apparently (laughs) um and uh yeah uh well i don't know what i'm what i was about what i'm gonna say so this might be like kind of a tangent but it's it's something i thought about like um so there's also i don't know if it's I guess it's I guess it's Lynch at least is and maybe you can speak to this as as a director and like working with actors and things like he has this there's an ability he picks these people that are just fucking perfect for what they like Bobby is such a douchebag piece of shit and is just like actually you know I forgot he he murdered a cop and then he's yeah. a sheriff <laughs> later on. I'm like, what? Really, um, did, really did you just glaze that up? <laughs> Whatever. We've never, we've never caught that. We watched that last night and we're like, the guy they're meeting to get the drugs, that's the fucking sheriff's deputy. Sheriff. From- <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and Bobby kills him. And then it's like, mm-hmm. um, yeah, no. And and yeah, Bobby's such an obnoxious, annoying fucking. And then, and then you have Leo and Jacques and Leo is like the the ultimate like shitty psychopathic henchman guy that yeah. is just like and he has he's got a fucking ponytail he's such a piece of shit and then Jacques <laughs> is repulsive like is the most repulsive man I've ever like every time she kissed him I was like oh and the, yeah, yeah. And, and the thing that I started to think about was like what is it like for that actor? Like he shows up uh, and he's like, oh, I'm, I'm coming. Uh, I, I hear there's a job. I can play a baker. And they're like, no, but you're really gross. You're the you're worst really- gross person. <laughs> you're perfect to play the worst gross person. You want to play uh, this criminal pervert? <laughs> so the, the first three notes I took watching the film last night, one was static. Second was sexy lady school bus kidnapping. <laughs> And, yes. the, and then the third one was, is Chris Isaac terrible? Um, because, and, but it's a casting thing. It's like you're saying, like, like Chris Isaac, I don't know that his performance is good in this film, but it's, but it's perfect and absolutely right. And I do think that, um, you know, there's like a, a truism that is a cliche at this point, but I think it's, I mean, I, I think it's a cliche for a reason and it's true that as a director, like, of your job, maybe even 95 is casting. If you put the right, and it's not just, I mean, it's casting, but it's also your designers, right? If you put the right people in the room together, then you can just sort of sit, not entirely sit back, but you you set them in motion and the thing will will unfold Mm. with minimal uh, interference from from you. I think like really like the, the dream situation for a director is to not have to fuck with it like to be able to set it up put the people in place set it up and then let them go you know and then maybe you're like you're adjusting you're tweaking but really you put the right people in the right places and it'll do the thing and and lynch has got an eye for casting that is like frankly ridiculous Um, (laughs) in, in the best possible way it kind of reminds me of um the way it's it's a different thing because it, with Lynch it's more about motion and uh and like this slow kind of expressive thing but that attention to to casting like I feel like uh Sergio Leone is one of mm, my favorite oh, yeah yeah like 
he picks yeah, sure. he would cast people just based on their face yeah just on how their face looked and then he would just like get extras who look amazing and just leave like long shots on these side people onlookers and just like move to someone else who has a fly on their face like i just yeah. love that so much well and it's like a uh i think that there's clearly ex- exceptions to this but like a, a broad statement you can make is that film being photography is about the image right um whereas something like theater is, as a live event is much more about the energy that's that's actually expressed and shared in in the, the living moment the thing that's happening between the audience and the performer so in making a film i think you can get away with uh, casting based on like wow you you have an amazing face or wow you like uh, are crazy tall and your hair looks whatever right it's it yeah. you can cast based on a visual at least for um your sort of background people or depending on the style of the film i mean uh robert brisson who's a famous french filmmaker from the i think the 50s he actually referred to the people in his films as models he didn't call them actors Mm -hmm. um he explicitly was like i'm i'm moving these bodies around and photographing it um now i think a really good director a really good filmmaker is is obviously doing more than just that um and is is casting people based on their um their expressivity or their um their ability to sort of their presence right mm-hmm. and the same way like it's weird you can look at a, like a catalog and there's some people in the there's some models in the clothes that you're like okay great you're wearing that jacket really well good job buddy mm-hmm. um but there are the odd models who are there's something more going on there's something more happening behind the eyes or they're just they have i don't know if it's more or better uh presence which is a really um tricky thing to quantify but i think that part of what uh david lynch or any good director is doing in, in, in casting these roles is he's looking at who's got that ineffable hard to describe element of presence yeah well it's also if you've ever seen like fashion models outside of like being made up they're often very strange looking like they're it's not like you don't look at them they're like oh my god that's the most beautiful it's more like that they're kind of what's hmm like there's something just slightly yeah um and it's like certain people that just look different in every single picture they ever are in like they look like a different person like those people make great models because you can just put a tiny little bit of makeup and it's like oh you're a different person now person yeah Yeah. your cheekbones are down there now (laughs) somehow (laughs) i mushed them and so i have another (laughs) muscle that like those weird those weird people from dune i forget what they're fucking the face dancers or whatever face dancers yeah i want to be a face dancer that sounds kind of great <laughs> sounds like um, some kind of something in babylon that you would pay for <laughs> and it's sexy a, a sultry face dancing i would like a, a nice leisurely face dancing please <laughs> 
Does the evil monkey show up in any of the other um, Twin Peaks like films or shows? I don't know, but it on I don't know if it's still there. But on Netflix, there was a thing that was a short with him uh, interrogating a monkey. Yeah. <laughs> like David yeah. Lynch was a detective, and it's like a film noir, but it's him and a monkey. <laughs> I gotta find that and watch it. <laughs> I had forgotten about the evil monkey in this and we got to it. It's, he only shows up like twice, but every time I was like, evil monkey! <laughs> <laughs> Which and is another... The what? little boy, the, the little yeah. boy demon is his son. That's David Lynch's oh, son. Oh, is it? <laughs> That's because it, it's It's clearly like a little version of him somehow. Yeah. Because it's, it's, the, it's, it's the hair and everything. Yeah, it's his uh, <laughs> biological, it's like his son. And it's weird enough <laughs> that david lynch was like okay one of the demons should look like a little tiny version of me like me. that's weird enough but then he's like let me it should just be my child i'm gonna <laughs> film my child being a demon see i don't i don't actually feel like they're demons what do you think they are i feel like they are other people who've been captured by the original entity like taken in <clears throat> like they lost themselves to their passions and were taken captive and they're essentially stuck in this place that is it it hmm. is there a difference between okay so is the original entity judy is that like is that a thing is that true probably okay so if judy is the original like is bob just an, like is bob uh probably like a willing uh a willing participant rather than an unwilling one like um there might be something about like an ally with someone who used to be human who is now not, but it is closer than to the human world. I mean, it, it, it really like it makes sense to me metaphysically that there'd be like these different layers of like yeah. spirit uh, arrangement. Yeah. And, like one person yeah. that got taken in by this thing was just like, fuck yeah, let's party. What, <laughs> it, well, I think also like in the in episode eight, um, there's the scene where she, Judy emerges, but then she also like vomited, vomits up. I don't know if it's Corbin Gor- Boza or whatever, but doesn't doesn't Bob sort of emerge out of like one of those yeah, spheres Bob, or connect? Yeah, Bob's face is you can see him in one of the the bubbles. Yeah, so maybe Bob's an emanation. Anyway, I I I think I mean I'm I'm asking because I think this is a really interesting idea that these are that there's different levels of involvement and that and that capture is like a a thing. So I'm working on a play right now that um, the playwright certainly did not intend it to take place in hell, but that is my, that's what we're doing with it. Um, (laughs) And the idea is that there's this crime that happened. These two sisters did this murder at some point in time. And now they're in this realm where they just are living it out over and over, right? They're like, and it's um, something I haven't talked with the actors about, but that I've been thinking about recently is like, if you're in hell, if you're in this eternal thing where you're living out an existence, whether or not it's repetitive, um, like, do you change? Like, do you grow inside of eternity? And um, I think it's interesting to think about these, the, the beings that I'm calling demons or that you're calling the captured, right? Like inside of time or outside of, or outside of time, are they, are they growing? Are, are some of them like, reaching away from Judy? Are some growing closer to Judy? Um, is 
I guess in some ways that like raises the stakes. Like if it's possible for some of these beings to be redeemed in some way, that makes more sense for like a, uh, an agent Cooper to be like, no, we've got to, I need to, I need to take up this quest to, to save Laura's soul or to, you know, to, to be engaged in this sort of long form struggle. And it's weird for me as someone who's not like super into cops that like, there is this, in this world, the FBI guys are like, actually good. They're good. Like they are yeah. this um, fellowship of knights who are engaging in this, like this sort of spiritual warfare. Huh. That's a really interesting thought, um, Rev. Like, what, who are what, I, I just felt like that the the ones, the other people that I feel like are captives, like I felt like that there were times where they were they were putting forth effort to try and assist. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the the to, arm to and uh, what's his getting... name? What's it? The 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 armless guy. I forget, what is he Mike. called? Mike. Mike and the arm. Um, because they they're trying to wrangle Bob. They're trying to keep him yeah. from like. So I yeah. think I think this kind of speaks to what you're talking about, Rev. But they're that, all that... but they're all bound together. They're all stuck yeah. together. Yeah. Um, but they're like kind of doing whatever they can, which isn't much, and they're kind of sad anytime someone gets taken by him. Uh... That's really interesting to think about in terms of like packs, right? Um, mm, pacts mm -hmm. and agreements that one might make with entities you make a pact well you've made it <laughs> and you're mm -hmm. in it unless you like i'm i'm sure different pacts have have um a protocol for dissolution but in general the idea is you make a pact and you're in it but that doesn't mean you don't have mm -hmm. agents to try to live your agenda inside of this this like binding that you're in um yeah because then you've got i think that's really interesting um uh kurt that that uh mike and the arm are a great example of characters who have been in thrall to judy or have been in service to judy who are trying to do good trying to to uh be helpful but then like i think about um that the old lady who often shows up with yeah um, a little boy and how she like she literally gives laura a portal she gives her that yeah. painting and is like put this in your house yeah mm. which if that showed up i'd be like no i'm burning this immediately yeah. fuck this last night we were like why did you put that in your room it is the creepiest fucking photo <laughs> yeah. yeah yeah see that lady it's like it's like that lady doesn't seem like she's helping <laughs> no so there's, it seems like this varying levels of, uh, yeah. Well, and interesting um, to think with like, if their, um, if their involvement with this thing escalates over time, like it does with her father, right? Like uh, Leland over time becomes more and more possessed, uh, mm -hmm. the more he indulges in it. And so does Laura, the more she kind yeah. of indulges in yeah. this intensity. Um, Where it takes her over occasionally. Like, right. it, like actually the, the, the titular moment is like, she's overcome like yeah. it feels like bob has reached in and like grabbed her yeah. so at any point before they're totally overtaken theoretically they could probably get out if yeah. if something if there were a catalyst if someone could stop them if they could stop themselves cool down you know make a honey jar for themselves take a nice cleansing bath <laughs> but um and get the fuck like move out of that house <laughs> um, first things first move out of that house burn, burn the painting yeah like but no none of these precautions so 
Um, well, and 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 dear I god mean, do not move to deer meadow or whatever the but, fuck that place is that but once the, the, yeah, stay out of the pacific northwest in general yeah. just <laughs> we were talking about that last night about how um we we did a like a three-week road trip through the pacific northwest last summer and like it was fun but also it's just very clear that there are old old um and either dark or angry um spirits there there's like that's really interesting that you say that uh because i my wife and i did a similar thing where we we flew into seattle and then we drove up to bellevue or bellingham yeah, yeah or i forget what it's called and you know you go through these farmlands and it was this really like we really loved it it was it felt very yeah. beautiful but then we turned down and we cut through this forest and I swear to God, when when we were in there, we were like, we need to get the fuck out of here. Something <laughs> does not like anybody. I and there's neighborhoods here. I don't know why. This yeah, this yeah. place clearly doesn't want anyone around it. And you're absolutely right. There is some sort of strange, like dark thing there. Um not to interrupt. Sorry, I, I went on a tangent. Oh no, no. Um but I also wonder, and I think he, I think Lynch like captures that. Like it's it's no wonder he felt, has felt compelled to tell this story in that part of the world. Um, I wonder, like, I don't, I don't have an answer for this. I don't know, or examples. Like, I wonder if he does present um, ways of escaping or getting out of the clutches of, of Judy. Do we see examples in the, I mean, again, in fire walk with me or over the the course of of the the whole show i mean she does at the end i mean she connects with that angel i mean there's something yeah. that happens and I, I i can't remember if there's a thing that she actually does or that is done for her or is it like a statement about grace like you know i don't i don't know um i didn't i don't think i took notes there. i mean she did uh she did do her best not to like hurt anyone. And I think maybe, you know, I, I didn't really see that with Leland. Like, I feel like there was part of him that really leaned into it. Um, mm. So, but I don't think with Laura, like I feel like she was dragged kicking and screaming the whole way yeah. because she, she didn't want anyone to get hurt like at all. Yeah. Like she deeply cared about everyone in her life. And I think that might be why that like saving grace happens. Like, like if you stay true to that center, to your that heart, and and you don't let the thing corrupt you on the inside, no matter what happens, like you you won't be fucked. Something yeah, be something's fucked. gonna come scoop you out. It's um, also interesting that uh, when the when the actual murder is taking place, Ronette um, is praying. I couldn't hear quite hear what she was saying. I don't know if it's the sound on my specific TV or something, but I couldn't hear what you were saying, but it was clear she's praying. The angel shows up and her bonds are broken. Mike shows up and kind of helps her escape. But it was, I remember in the moment being like, fuck man, Ronette's getting like a divine intervention to save her. And Laura's not like Laura's gonna, Laura's gonna die. And so it was interesting to see that angel come back at the end and, uh, have that experience of I don't know if she saved Laura or I don't I, I don't know what what actually is happening there if what, it's actually what, or 
Yeah, well, it's also interesting because in the return, he, he basically travels through time and prevents that from happening, and it fucks everything yeah. up. Yeah. yeah, yeah, right. So it, yeah, it's almost like it's it was necessary somehow. Like there's there's some part of it that 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 was like, yeah, I don't know. Well, that might fit into you know the sort of uh, Americana. My wife last night was like, man, uh, like I love this movie, but this there's this American myth of like the virginal whore blonde girl who gets raped and just, you know, she's like a sacrifice almost. Mm -hmm. um, and it's, you know, we see it happen in celebrity culture in America, like with Marilyn Monroe or Britney Spears or whoever, right? We like, we lift up these, we deify these celebrity figures and then we have to, they have to die or they have to be, degraded in some way so you wonder is, is laura a sacrifice that should not have been saved is there at least in the world of this this narrative right is is cooper wrong to try to to try to save her That's yeah is, is is his is his uh is him acting on his in his mind his good is like he's kind of blind to the higher purpose yeah. Well, uh, well, it's also interesting because he he's there with her in the red room, so he he must be aware of it in some weird way with yeah. with all the time. Um, yeah. Yeah, I don't know. It's really hard to sort because he gets sent back by the firemen or whatever in the return. So there, there he there's a point to him going back. But yeah. I, but there, I think there's probably a point where he steps too far, maybe. Yeah, I think Coop, uh, Coop seems like he gets a little bit imbalanced in his obsession with saving her, and not just like it goes from solving the crime to saving and undoing the past. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And and at some point, like I think you've gone off the rails. Um, yeah. If you're if you're going that far. Um, I don't know. I think that plays into it because there's rather rather than I mean there there definitely is something to that like archetype you mentioned, but I think for, uh, yeah I don't know. It just strikes me as like like Coop's getting caught up in his own obsession, and potentially that's why he's always sort of entangled with it in the first place is because that imbalance is his weak point. And it's not like it's not like enough to drive him all yeah. the way, all the way to the lodge, and t except like to to get him all the way there, he has to kind of voluntarily do it based on the obsession. So his weakness is still exploited to get him trapped, but yeah. it isn't through the same sort of madness. It's like actually a more conniving um, exploitation. It's like using his own good against him, mm -hmm. in a sense. And it's funny because in like towards the end of the return and like after he's done that and, and he's they've, they're in that new fucked up timeline, Coop's actually a little darker. Yeah. Right. Because yeah. there's that there's that diner scene where he just beats the shit out of all those guys. That's like this feels this is not who he would normally be. But you can in, this, the, in this version, he is. You can, you know, they say they you can take the coop out of the Black Lodge, but you can't take the Black Lodge out of the Lodge. <laughs> <laughs>
all the FBI guys that we meet, you know, we talked we, earlier, we talked about the FBI and this universe as this fellowship of uh, knights, but they all kind of have their own um, foibles. One of them are like, yeah, I mean, whether it's uh, Gordon and his, he loves a glass of wine and the young ladies, or uh, Philip Jeffries, who like goes, you know, totally uh, bonkers and turns into a teapot. Um, <laughs> There's, there, they, they've all got something that is not, um, and maybe Coop is the best of them, but he, he still, still falls prey to his own, uh, a weakness or a failing of some sort. You know, they, they actually, all the FBI guys remind me of, they remind me of actually, um, of actual angels. Um, yeah. Being just these, they're like awkward and don't quite know how to be human exactly but their hearts yeah. are in the right place like they're yeah. doing really and like one of them's really fucking rude to you but doesn't really mean it and like yeah. it's yeah. like i'm sorry be not afraid like um <laughs> there's something very angelic about their role and their personalities to me and yeah. it just makes me feel like like did you did you scry the ethers bro <laughs> Oh, uh, that that would be a really interesting thing to try to match them with some of the archangels. Uh, who would uh, who would Kiefer Sutherland be in this case? Because he's just this kind of a he's, he's a like little a fumbling nerd. That... I love that scene in the um, in the diner where he's just clearly like he's. It's one of the best performances of like um, sleep deprivation I feel like I've ever seen. He's just clearly so sleepy. And, uh, <laughs> Just doesn't want to be there, but still, uh, still quite brilliant. Oh yeah, and then the and blinks, then he, and the then there's that dick, got me. There's that dick move where he's like, "What time is it?" And he just <laughs> <laughs> why? Why? <laughs> just an ass. And also that that has to be said. That diner was fucking insane as a piece of set design. Which oh yeah, which. I, I must like the chainsaws and the log in the back. I don't know if you noticed that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then, 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 like on the corner is just this fucking standard issue, like lumberjack guy and a French fifties, yeah. just from like a different movie entirely. Yeah. It's a weird. I mean, like I, I, I really do love uh, Lynch's uh, like Lynch as a as an absurdist is like unparalleled right like he, he <laughs> little tableau where you're like this is totally bananas but i love it and i'm gonna go with it um i had the thought and it wouldn't it, it makes sense given his other films that in some ways fire walk with me seems like two films that have been jammed together you get you have the what's her name um uh, the first the teresa banks the teresa mm. banks mystery um, and by the way, God, she looks terrible. Like usually I feel like a lot of times films when they, when they give you the, like the corpse on the slab scene, they at least like, you know, have their eyes closed and they're, they're not like, oh, like <laughs> you made a point of making her look fucked up. Mm -hmm. um, but you've got that, that whole situation with um, Chris Isaacs and Keith Sutherland and Teresa Banks. And then we jump a year later into the and they just feel I know they're connected but there's there's also something tonally different I feel like the Teresa Banks material is more um of that kind of naive um absurdist, absurdist yeah uh, aesthetic 
And then when we get into the Twin Peaks material, it's it's more straightforwardly dark. Um, not it doesn't have the same kind of uh, whimsy. So I don't know if it's two different films smashed together, but there's a, a very clear tone change from the first half to the second. Yeah, you don't you don't get any um like in this movie you don't get any of the the fun coffee talk or uh or like of... sa sandwich monologues like you get in the series. Yeah. That sandwich I mean... monologue is one of my favorite things in the whole fucking <laughs> series. Like it just it's so absurd that he he comes in and this introduction his introduction in the show is just like 10 minutes <laughs> It feels like 10 minutes worth of psyching up this sandwich and just romanticizing yeah. it out of nowhere. Like it doesn't, oh, I, I love that. I go, I think about that a lot. I mean, it, it, there there are these little tiny moments, like like you were bringing up the, the at the that tableau with the school bus at the very beginning. That's like, what the hell is going on here? I don't even know. And then that the sheriff of of Deer Meadows or whatever that's like that has he looks at that thing that's a cable bins bar, which is the sheriff like. Because his name is Sheriff Cable. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, the, the school bus is amazing. That must have been a lot of fun to shoot. I mean, clearly they're like, what, goes, what happens here? And he's like, well, there's a school bus full of screaming children and some sexy ladies in front and a bunch of FBI guys. Okay. Cool. Sounds great. It's, it's my favorite kind of detail, though. It's like the kind of scene that like gives you no... Um, explanation for what it is and yet alludes or like uh gestures towards like a whole other, other film. story yeah yeah, yeah. It, it almost makes me feel like he knew uh the person that was gonna back it like financially and he was like they're only gonna read the first four pages so i'm gonna make the first four pages of this script sound like a fucking hollywood like like tits and a school bus that's hijacked like yeah boom let's do this with green light out or something i wonder like, I, I promise everything you read will be in the movie yeah <laughs> the the other crazy thing is that that scene at the red light where <laughs> yeah which that i mean as heightened and as insane as it is that feels real like like that feels like something that could actually happen. Like some rando oh, yeah. is just like totally obsessed with you for a second and is just yeah. pouring all of their manic energy at you. Uh, but well, this just happens to be tied into the reality of their... Yeah, that, that should happen. And it's another place where the sound design is like, I, I feel like Lynch is braver with sound design than a lot of filmmakers. Like the the honking and the the noise in that scene is so overwhelming, and it it uh, it puts you, the audience, in the in the experience of being like, I have to get out of this. I have to get out of this. But it's <laughs> it's not a choice that I think nine out of ten sort of Hollywood pictures are going to make. Um, yeah, that was really sticking out. To, I think it's because we're we're um, we're scoring the the play right now. So I'm working with our composer to make the music for the play. So I'm, I'm really sensitive to sound, <laughs> but watching the film last night, there's so much little, almost subliminal sound stuff that's happening. Um, that is, it's central to the experience of these films. And uh, yeah, I love it. It's like, yeah, I don't know. 
I just love yeah, he, he, he's he's <clears throat> tuned to that in a way that I don't think I don't know that most directors are because I remember watching um I forget it might have been about Lost Highway there was some little like document mini documentary thing that you know cable shows used to cable networks used to make if they were premiering yeah. a movie they'd have like some and I think it was about Lost Highway and they um he was watching the score being made and then he was like can we do this and he brought in this like 10 foot uh pvc pipe and he miked the end of it so that the sound he was picking the sound up as it traveled through the pvc pipe and he was like he wanted to like mix it like i don't know like where it shows up in the actual movie but that's just such a crazy like I want to take this like orchestral sound and I just want to funnel it into this weird plastic yeah. thing so that I have that to play with. I don't even know if he used it. It was just like, and I think he's like that too. Like I have this idea. I don't know. I don't know if there's a purpose for it yet, but I need to but it, follow. Uh, but yeah, exactly. I need to, I need to do it. And, and there's um, another instance of that is, is uh, he was talking about, What's the one with Nicolas Cage that he made? Wild at uh, Heart. Wild at Heart. Where he was like, he was like, we need somebody in this background scene and they have to be carrying a pipe, like, like water, a water pipe, like a couple, and it has to be bright red. <laughs> and, and, and what it reminds me in this is that there's in the, the trailer where uh, Chris Isaac's character just disappears, it's, it's very odd because it's lit from the inside and then has gold trim and like the the uh the propane tanks are all painted gold so so it has this kind of slightly unearthly quality to it and it's also uh, interesting it's interesting to me because it's like oh what about the gold shovels and the yeah the return like mm. what what there's a through line here i know there is i don't i don't know what it is yet but there's some <laughs> sort of weird connection well, and some of it is like, you know, it's, it's, and I think it's, it's really successful for him is he's got a personal mythology that he's following, you know, he's, he's following his impulses and who knows if he's trying to communicate anything to us with them other mm -hmm. than a sense of, uh, of, of, of completion or reality. It's like a lot of times in working with actors, I'll, I'll end up saying, look, I don't, the audience doesn't need to know what you're thinking about here. They just need to yeah. know that they just need to pick up on the fact that you're experiencing something, right? Like you have the experience and let it come through your body and we're going to pick up on it. I don't care if you're thinking about the play itself or about what you're going to have for dinner, like as long as you're engaged. And so I wonder sometimes if, I mean, it certainly matters for us what the, the golden shovel, <clears throat> it's fun to think about what the golden shovel might mean. But mm -hmm. it might be that David Lynch was just like, oh, that shovel should be gold. And yeah. <laughs> you know, who knows, right? But because he's engaged with it and he's following those impulses, we end up with a more complete, fleshed out, rounded out um, world to engage with as an audience. Definitely. Which I think is pretty cool. Yeah, I, it, I, it, go ahead. Go ahead, Rev. I, I think if he, um, if he just said, it was it needs to be gold because that was like some random choice that he made then that's one thing but like because i actually think that he's listening to voices that he hears to tell him these things 
like and oh he yeah. just knows to just listen and do it like yes. i don't know why but okay and then later he understands why or doesn't yeah. you know <laughs> either way um well yeah i think that that makes perfect sense yeah so like well, it, it, in it that definitely... case it makes me go like so what do the golden shovels mean because yeah if he's well, picking yeah, up on something it, else coming, then it's coming from somewhere there's some congruency yeah. and it doesn't mean like like plug it into this idea and it makes sense with the plot and the story and yeah. a nice place yeah it doesn't mean like that it just means like there's something about maybe you know the, the two events um there's something thematically or energetically that links them and like yeah. that's all we need to know and we can sit with that for as long as we need to but like well the fact that yeah, it's there to just to, to ponder and find out what it means to you is like so much more than you get from most things in general just even yeah it's it's rich and it's 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 uh it's charged right. with significance mm-hmm. yeah you know it, it what, what i what it suddenly comes to me is that like so that that trailer was that gold was around the entire bottom of it it was like it ringed the trailer and underneath the trailer is the ring which is this yeah it's the source of of darkness in this world it's the thing that judy can possibly come through or control someone and chris's character removes it from underneath the trailer yeah and then the trailer disappears so and so to me there's something like was that sort of a protective circle around the ring that was holding that in place and they kind of he was chris isaac was sort of manipulated to take it out so that then yeah i don't know and because because i think in the in the return the the golden shelves are like this positive thing like dig yourself out of the shit like that's his, that's uh, Jacoby's like whole thing about it. So yeah, yeah. yeah I don't know. It, it just that just struck me. Well, and I don't it. think I don't think the gold's yeah. gonna mean something bad, right? Gold means yeah, like, yeah. Specifically, alchemically speaking, and and just thinking of those terms, it 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 is a thing. Gold means like top best. It means mm-hmm. pure. Yeah. It's all these things that it really is. These attributes and it's emblematic. So like, yeah. The, the, I think the the idea of it being uh, sort of like a Frodo situation makes sense because the family lived there for, mul- it was like multiple generations with the same exact name, remember? Yeah. Right? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, so that sounds to me like some weird ethereal guardianship. Yeah. I love it. I love these films. And it's like the, yeah, I just love that you can, there's so much to unpack. And there's, again, it's like, who knows if we'll ever, you ever land on the right thing but each uh each symbol each occurrence uh opens up these other pathways to explore it's a it's a generative uh, it makes the you know there's the generative act of creating the work but it's almost like Dinch, uh, lynch is creating works that are generative in themselves they each viewing opens up more pathways each viewing creates something new and I think that's like the highest praise I can you can give to an artist that you're making a thing that is whole into itself, but that also creates. Um, well, yeah, cool. I mean, we're normally done talking about the movie after about 30 minutes and then we'll like reference back to it and we get stuck on like magic stuff and we just talk about <laughs> what the fuck we want. But like, this is the first time we've actually talked about the movie this long because it's that it's, there's that much to explore with it. Like you, you get to use your imagination long after it's over. Yeah. 
And I think also, I mean, it's all, you know, arguably art in general is, uh, is magic, but his work is, is to me uh, either, they are either magical objects in themselves or they are records of, of a magical practice or a magical working. And so we managed to do both. We, uh, <laughs> we talked about magic. I mean, you could yeah. do a whole, a whole other episode just on like David Lynch, wizard or greatest wizard. Um, because, <laughs> well, isn't that, do you want to talk about a little bit like, uh, like that's kind of, that's kind of, you do some of that too, like performative uh, magic, don't you? You, that's, yeah. um, you want to talk about it or promote your, um, I, I want to, I want to ask everybody to that's listening to go help, uh, help out with Matt's Kickstarter. Because, I, I, I support that. <laughs> yeah, because the maids sounds incredible and um, he's trying to get that like up and running and y'all should y'all should go support it. Like every bit, every little bit helps. Um, even if it's five dollars better, if it's five hundred. That's the truth. Yeah. Um, so, I yeah, I do. I have a, my artistic practice is primarily as a, um, a theater director and uh, playwright. Um, and a lot of I always in my like stupid like bio uh, that like I submit places, the official line is Matt Cosper is a theater practitioner working at the crossroads of performance and ritual. Um, and so, I mean, that, that's in cheesy language, but it's the truth. It's, it's nice. sort of my deal is we make we make plays and events and performances that are um, aesthetic events, you know, they're theater events, but they are also um, pretty strongly informed by my magical practice and um, have uh, have to do with um, either are altering subtly the energies of those involved or in actually bringing um, bringing a change into uh, this reality. Uh, the interesting thing about the maids is it's the first thing we've done in probably about 10 years that I didn't write. Um, it's a play that has existed. Uh, it's a play, it's a weird bit of time travel for me. I directed it 20 years ago. It was one of the first plays I ever directed. Oh, wow. And uh, we're revisiting it. And I'm like, wow, I definitely uh, was a 20 year old when I directed this the first time. <laughs> a lot of shit I missed. Um, but it's, it's, it's fascinating. It's, the playwright is a, a man named Jean Genet, who was a um, homosexual hustler and pickpocket and thief who was in and out of prison in France in the thirties. Um, but also was like writing these amazing um, novels and eventually plays very involved in um, radical politics. He snuck into America because he couldn't get a visa. He snuck in to be at the 68 democratic national convention was hanging out with the black Panthers and stuff. Um, <laughs> very involved in like the, um, you know, he was a French writer, so very involved in Algerian um, independence, um, but also like had this whole metaphysics of like the criminal as saint and um, a weird sort of like, I guess he, you could say he sort of invented his own like folk Catholicism around <laughs> like outcasts and criminals and prostitutes as these like saintly figures. Um, Dude, this 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 guy is just Caravaggio reborn. He's the same fucking dude. Like I I I swear to God, this this guy he's reincarnated. It's the same guy. <laughs> um, he uh, 
a fascinating figure. Um, Jean-Paul Sartre wrote like a 500 page book on him um, called Saint Genet. Um, <laughs> although it's interesting, like Genet didn't write for like six years after that book came out. And uh, my personal theory is that it's because Sartre got him so wrong that he was traumatized. Um, but uh, fascinating figure. Uh, the play The Maids was his first play. And it's, um, it's about these two sisters who are sort of doubles of each other. Um, and they work for this very glamorous woman that they're both kind of in love with, but they also hate. And every time she goes out, they play this game that they've created, the ceremony that they have developed for themselves, where they take turns. One of them will dress up in Madame's clothes and the other will be a maid who enacts this like revenge fantasy where they're gonna murder her, but they never quite uh, manage to get to it. And then on the day that this play takes place, things get out of hand. Um, and it's uh, it's interesting, there's like all sorts of interesting class, like uh, class critique, but it's a it's a black mass, it's uh, it's magic. I mean, it's, it's literally a, a play about uh, sympathetic magic. I mean, they're trying to like, by doing um, actions on themselves, uh, affect the, have the effects appear in the life of their boss. Um, there's, I guess, uh, I doubt many, I don't know, well, I don't know if anyone who's listening to this will see the play. I'm trying to like avoid spoilers, but um, yeah, we have definitely made the decision that our production of The Maids takes place in, in a hell realm. Um, there's like, yeah, there's a twist at the end um, where it becomes, hopefully it will become clear that we are somewhere other than Earth. Um, a goat's head is involved, black hands, uh, candlelight. Um, black, black Phillip. Yeah, um, but yeah, so we're working on that. Like, um, and that's, I mean, that's why I wanted to talk to you guys about Lynch because he's certainly been, um, an influence both in terms of the sort of absurdist bent of his works but also I myself am an artist who is who's um, you might say preoccupied with um, the afterlife or other life um, and how the things we do in the imaginal show up in um, the mundane and um, yeah, it's weird. I tell people I make religious art, and then I think they come and see the work I'm making, expecting something a little different. <laughs> <laughs> That's an interesting tactic. Yeah, right? I'm like, it's really, are you religious? You'll love it. That's what we're doing. <laughs> um, but yeah, so it's, it's opening. Uh, we're, we're doing the show August 4th through 14th at um, uh, a museum in town called the Mint Museum. Um, and uh, we have a Kickstarter going. We're trying to raise $5,000, which is funny because like for me, I'm like, that's a ton of money. But to try to make a theater production, like 5,000 is like the least we could raise to try to actually make the thing happen. Um, so please y'all help me pay my credit card bill. Um, <laughs> and uh, uh, where geographically is the... Uh, oh yeah, so uh, I live in Charlotte, North Carolina, and uh, that's where my theater company is based called XOXO. Um, you can find us at xoxoperformance.org. Um, yeah, so I'm in Charlotte. I'm in the um, the American Southeast, and uh, we're making some pretty weird stuff. Um, 
It's funny to me. I'm like, I think uh, a lot of audiences are going to be like, Janae, this is insane. But I'm like, guys, you like for the last five years, I've been making shit like in the middle of forests at midnight. So like, I'm I'm inviting you to come to a, an actual theater with chairs and air conditioning. <laughs> and like, there's yeah, I was I, I was going to ask if this was had that same because I know you. Part of also what you had been doing is that because there is this thing where like. Uh, which I don't know if it's exactly a trend, but it is a thing that's been happening with theater where it's like we're the audience is not going to be contained by a standard yeah, theater. Yeah. Like the Perineum Arch. Or is that what it's called? Not Perineum Arch. What the fuck no, is the name? The <laughs> that's the tank. Yeah. yeah. The, the, the it's the same thing. Whatever. Whatever. <laughs> <laughs> the tank between you and the audience can't get there to the good spot <laughs> yeah no no but the, the uh that that is in modern theater there's a that's been removed so that we can touch the g-spot yeah i mean how else are you gonna yeah. get mm, right up <laughs> um no but yeah you're exactly right there's like a, a trend over the last couple of years something called immersive immersive theater the right theater. where yeah the um like the gallagher is, yeah just like gallagher <laughs> Splash zone, you wear the plastic. Um, it shows like, I mean, we, and we've done work that is like very, uh, like very uh, far in that direction. You know, we've put audiences in, into vans and driven them across state lines to farms. Um, we've done work where people are like wearing headphones and walking around a city block, sort of like trying to track down the performers. So this this work, it's like the um, the form is like is much more conventional than anything we've done in years it's you're going to sit in a seat in a, in a theater and watch people play characters um but the content i would say is just as um sort of transgressive subversive uh as we typically do and it is um you know i don't get into this much when i'm talking to the newspaper about the work but it is explicitly magical i mean it's it's a all of our work is based pretty intently on ritual and um you know enacting ritual in order to either change ourselves or change our circumstances um this is a little bit more um i think subtle than some of the work some of the work we've done has been like okay we're basically inviting you to come watch us do a, a magical working mm -hmm. Um, this is a play, you know, but it's, it's uh, you know, it's a, I think it, you know, it's about desire and it's about these two sisters specifically trying to find a way to funnel their desire into um, some kind of a change for themselves. So yeah, it, it seems explicitly magical to me for sure. And uh, yeah, we've raised, uh, we've raised 2,500 bucks so far of a $5,000 goal, which is good. And we we're keeping the Kickstarter open for another couple weeks. So I think, um, I think we'll be fine, but yeah, only with your help. <laughs> yeah, seriously, I mean, even, like if, it's turning even if you into can't, an telephone. I'm like, even if you can't go see it, just give him a few bucks. I mean, <laughs> like think about, uh, think about like, I don't know. I, it just, it's crazy to me how we, we live, we live in a never ending ocean of garbage television that goes for a season or two and then no one ever remembers again. And like that there is, um, 
there's like a, a wonderful uh, power couple like doing this kind of work together out there um yeah people need to know about that and like like if you're like a whole state or two away like how how big of a deal is it to drive that far to see something that's actually like a magical performance rather than just sitting on your ass and or going to the fucking movies like to I me mean, that's I, I, if i were in ohio i'd be coming down if i still lived in ohio i'd be coming down to see it for sure that's awesome i am um, yeah i will say like i think the thing about the theater is that when when it hits you know when it's made with craft and care and um the the sort of stars align for that moment to happen it's it's truly special because it, it's only happening then and it's only yeah. happening in in that room um and there is an exchange of energies that is powerful and that it's funny man like i feel like a, a jerk off saying this but I, we were just talking about this yesterday. There's a piece of theater I made 10 years ago that I see people today on the street and they say that changed my life. That actually changed the direction of my life or that same piece of theater. It's like, I'll be in a social situation with a couple of different people who don't know each other, but they'll, they'll realize in conversation that they saw, they both saw that show. And mm. suddenly it's like they're, it's a secret handshake, you know, they're like, oh shit, you were one of, cause it's, you know, it's indie avant-garde theater. It's like 200 people saw it. Right. Yeah. Uh, and, and those people are a part of a little, um, a little fraternity of folks who had that experience. And I think especially, you know, I love the fact that we're able to talk via zoom right now, but I also think that in an age of digital media where everything's mediated by screens and, we're online all the time having live experiences where we get to be together in space and share space and time together that's um it's good for you <laughs> you know it's also hopefully a lot of fun and entertaining um i, I keep think... saying online i'm like uh we gotta let all the lesbians in charlotte know that the maids is for them it's three beautiful <laughs> women bullying each other to death <laughs> in like beautiful clothes for an hour. Um, but yeah, so ideally it's fun and entertaining, but it's also like spiritually it is. And also like, I think just for your body, it's like going outside. It's, it's being together, which is, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm now I'm truly on my soapbox, like about to <laughs> preach the word. Um, no, it's that's important. What, it's, that's what the show's for. Well, right? I mean, I mean, probably my most some of my most memorable experiences here in in New York have all been theater experiences, mm. and there is a there is this thing where like, I mean, I've seen some of the most incredible stuff I've ever seen has been on actually BAM, the theater that's oh, yeah. in my neighborhood, um, and when you do run across someone who's seen one of those performances, it's like such a different thing because it's like I can tell you about it, but it's just not the same. Yeah. And um, yeah, there, there's 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 real magic that I think that happens in live performance that doesn't. Yeah, um, I mean it's 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 literal magic. It's a theater emerged out of ritual performance. Ritual. Yeah, cavemen, <laughs> you know, like it is it is it is literal magic, and it it maybe looks a little bit different nowadays. And I, I know there's a ton of it that's being done. Um, 
with not the right intentions. But when you when you do it right, I think, and you get a good group of people in a space together to 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 like stop time for a moment and uh, share what it means to be a human together. That's that's the good stuff, man. That's uh, it's almost like discovering. It's like discovering you had the exact same dream as someone else. Like the yeah. exact, exact same dream because it's already in the past once you're finding someone that was there too. And yeah. it's like, so it's already a memory, but like yeah. they have almost the same memory um, of the same event. Oh, that's so good. And that's, that's amazing. This, yeah, crazy bond from that. <laughs> okay, I'm definitely like stealing that for my curtain speeches at the show. Um, <laughs> that's such a great way of describing why you should go see theater. You're sharing a dream with um, with a group of, of people who you know, who you don't know. That's that's good stuff, man. Yeah, I'll go, fuck it. Um, that, that brings to mind like, <laughs> there's, those, there's those theaters in Europe that only perform like say the Wagnerian ring cycle or something or the globe theater that only plays Shakespeare and to have that sort of density of that thing happening for what centuries in the same place there's there's something really incredible about that too um I which I don't I have the closest we get is like Broadway where the one show will run for a million years but I I don't I don't know if it's quite the same as uh as like (laughs) As the ring cycle or, or Shakespeare. Well, even, I mean, like, uh, you want to talk about, A, I think that's a really good point. And that's, like, it's amazing. I talk to my students a lot about um, ancestors of practice. I don't necessarily, like, frame it that way. But when we're about to do a show, I remind them that when they step on stage, they're bringing everyone who ever did that with them. You know, and mm-hmm. that this is one of the oldest activities. This is one of the oldest human activities. Um, and there is a resonance, a deep resonance built into that. Um, and it's cooler when it's even, when it's even more specific, right? Like the ring, uh, there's also some passion plays that, um, there's a city in Germany that has been doing a, this one passion play for like 600 years or something, um, or a mystery oh, wow. play. Um, you know, that, and it's like we talk about in, in magical circles, right? You talk about why the rosary is so powerful. Sure, it has its own metaphysics to it, but also like there's like a million old Sicilian grandmas who have said those words over time. Um, and so resonance builds up. Right. And I think that's part of what, um, you know, we were talking about how film is photography and theater is an energetic thing. And when working with actors, so our company does performances, but we also have a, a training practice where we regularly, it's actor training that's built around body, breath, imagination, right? And being able to develop presence and um, sort of like generate or capture energy and then move it through space. Um, and that is seems fundamental to me to the art of the actor, um, working with energy in space and time um and then we attach narrative to it to um based on our our goals right or what what we want to engage with in that specific production but the initial thing is you know stomping your feet and singing right it's Mm. it's a very old technology 
uh, for mm -hmm. for opening. We let me talk about the dilated actor. Our training is is aimed at dilating the performer, opening them up so that energies can go out and energies can come in. Um, certainly a magical practice. Something I want to add was, uh, I think it was in like an, I think it was in like an introduction to a Vonnegut book where he's, um, he's talking about the first time he saw a streetcar named Desire and how if he were sitting at home watching it on TV, it would have had no more effect on him than like this, you know, the Sunday night football or Monday night football. Um, but because he was in an audience like wrapped completely just enthralled with all these other humans, uh, you know, it was this yeah. unforgettable experience watching, mm -hmm. uh, watching Dubois get dragged off. Like, <laughs> well, I, yeah, I've definitely had experiences in theaters where you're sitting there with, a couple hundred people or maybe 50 people and everyone has their breath taken away at the same time right you hear it and feel the whole audience go and you know that tears have sprung to the eyes of everyone in that space they've done studies they've hooked up theater audiences to uh EK, not ekgs but like heart monitors and the heartbeats of theater audiences sync up like Whoa. a couple minutes into the perform by a couple minutes into the performance everyone's hearts <laughs> are beating together. Um, so imagine doing some not evil Suspiria shit. Yeah. Like, yeah, like that's, yeah, that's, that's like have somebody in the basement or in the rafters doing a working. And then as you direct the audience's emotions towards a thing, like they culminate the ritual uh, unbeknownst to the audience, like <laughs> using them as a battery. <laughs> I can neither confirm nor deny. <laughs> yes. But that yes, happens regularly. <laughs> <laughs> just just checking to see if you thought of it was all <laughs> the, uh, the um, in the rafters that's the perineum arch that's the perineum arch the <laughs> um i actually speaking of which i have to go to rehearsal um yeah 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 i I, uh, <laughs> I thank you so much for coming this has been <laughs> so much fun to catch up with you and talk yeah, lynch. yeah we good. should we should pick another lynch thing and... yeah let's do it yeah. yeah yeah we'll have you back uh soon cool all right well it was good to talk to y'all and i'll see you soon all right see you buddy later matt bye mm -hmm.